Welcome to Skull Stories, presented by Cambria, proud to be the official countertop of the Minnesota Vikings. Tonight, we're speaking with former Vikings tight end Byron Chamberlain. Before we get to Byron, Jay, it was a rough first week, right? You you go to Cincinnati, it's all about business. You know, you're you're checking in in a hotel, you wake up, you smell football. You can't make a lot of mistakes. And unfortunately, too many penalties in the first half, so many of those were um, alignment penalties or pre-snap motion or pre-snap movement. It's unfortunate we made those mistakes, but it's like those aren't those are pretty easily fixed, I would think. Yeah, and typically you get like a, a shorter leash. One's an issue, two's a trend. <laughs> but when it turns into you know three in the first four plays, kind of a thing, that was when people's eyes yeah. started to started to open up a little bit more. And I just think that was where you know so much of the criticism came from. This game were those mental mistakes from right. what we saw. So usually, if it's a hustle mistake. People give you a little bit more of a leeway, but if it was a mental mistake, that's where it gets a little. And the little Oli, you know, the Oliudo hit, you know, that was a that's a mental thing. Um, most of the time, holding is when guys are overmatched or overly tired. Fundamentals become a huge part of it, and I think that group up front has a sense of urgency today. I would say, you know, I mean this this week going into Arizona, they're going to have that sense of urgency and they're going to get those things fixed. But the game was not without some really great things. One of which was KJ Osborne. I think he built on what he did in training camp and and has established himself now as the number three receiver. And defensively, there were you know plenty of plenty of bright spots. He had five sacks on defense. Um, you know, everybody kind of getting in the mix. The third kind of topic is special teams. You got to be good enough on all three phases. And I think for the first time in quite some time, the Vikings played well enough on special teams, right? You had a, you had a, a, a block punt or a tip punt. Um, Jordan Berry did a great job exchanging field position on the punts. Uh, Greg Joseph, obviously, with a huge 53-yard field goal to tie things up, you know, at the end of the game. Overall, you're going to have to fix those mistakes. You're going to have to get better in a hurry. You know, you got an Arizona Cardinals team that went and just really took care of business with the uh, Tennessee Titans in Tennessee. But before we get into that a little bit later in the show, let's get to our guest, former Minnesota Vikings tight end Byron Chamberlain. Byron Chamberlain, great to see you. Great to talk to you. Um, how you been? What what are you up to? Where are you living? Give us the give us a quick rundown of what's going on in your world. Hey Pete, it's it's great to be on with you, man. Um, I'm good, man. I'm uh, here in uh, Los Angeles. You, I, I still uh, keep a, a a lot of ties with my former Vikings teammates. Um, safety Robert Griffith is out here, and uh, you know we spend a lot of time together. You know, doing different things. So that's what I'm doing, trying to stay safe good. and uh, and and just living the dream, like no. I said. And so expound a little bit on what you and, and, and Robert Griffith, uh, former Viking alumni, have been up to. And uh, what do you guys see? I heard there's some business and some charity things. What do you guys yeah, do? Yeah, we do it. We do a, a lot of business things together. Um, a couple of business ventures that we're involved in. We work out together. Uh, we still still try to keep ourselves in pretty good shape. We've been doing some things, uh, you know, helping kids, football camps, stay connected to the game and stay connected to the youth. Uh, that are trying to pursue uh, the things that we pursued, whether it's high school, college, or, or NFL. Absolutely fantastic. Now, I want to go back to the beginning. So you started your career in Denver. Was it 95 mm-hmm. or 94? 95. And you played with Pariani in Denver, and you also know the Kubiak offense. So um, start with Coach Pariani, and then uh, you know talk a little bit about 
what are the mainstays of a Kubiak offense? We assume Clint will be a lot like his father. So you played in it. You know it real well. What's uh, what's that offense like? Periani, first of all, you know, the thing I loved about him was he, he was a great teacher and he, he really helped me because I was drafted uh, in 95 as a receiver. And I, and I came in and I, I was I was actually a receiver probably my first year in, in the NFL. Um, dabbled a little bit with the tight end position, but but mostly I, I stayed in the um, receiver room. Uh, and then, you know, that second year, um, Brian really helped me. He was a, he was just a, just an excellent teacher. And the thing about him is he really was, you know, he was a guy that really was big on the details and, and he really left, you know, no stone unturned in, in our preparation. So it helped me because I was learning, I was transitioning to, to the tight end position. As, as far as Kubiak and the Kubiak offense, the one thing that, that you know, you know you're going to do is you got to establish the run. That's, 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 that's number one uh, in, a, in a Kubiak offense. You're going to establish the run. You're going to be tough and physical up front. And, uh, and they'll be committed to running the ball. So, you know, with a guy like with Dalvin Cook toting the, toting the rock, I mean, that, that, that's a, a, a wonderful thing for that Minnesota offense. And then everything's predicated off that. If you can run the football, if you can stay committed to running the football, if you can run it even when they, they, think, when they think or know you're going to run it and have some success at it, that, that's even better. So uh, that, that's, that's rule number one. And, and the play actions and bootlegs and everything, uh, comes off of that that run. Now you were with the Vikings in 2001, um, which yes. is a bit of, a bit of your connection with Denny Green. I'm obviously my mm-hmm. my entire career from being recruited in high school to playing in the NFL was was with Denny Green. When you were with the Vikings, you were around on September 11th, um, and that's 2001, and that's 20 years ago. I mean. Wow. It, Amazing how much how quickly time goes by. Uh, what are your memories of of that uh, of that nine eleven era? Well, you know, you you, you speak of that two thousand one season, and that was my first with the uh, with the Vikings. The first thing I remember when I think about that season is is losing Corey Stringer. Yeah, you know, that was a big big emotional thing, and and Corey was one of the first people. He was the first person I met. When I came into the the my first day in the Minnesota Viking locker room, so so we had already gone through that uh, you know situation, and it it was it was still ongoing. It was it, you know losing him was 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 a painful thing. And we get to that nine eleven day. I remember being in the meeting room. We're in the offensive meeting room, and uh, Randy Moss had kind of snuck out of the room early uh, before our break, and he's hanging out in the players' lounge and. Finally, they give us a break. Hey, go take a five, 10 minute break and, and come back. Well, as we're walking down the hall, the whole offense is walking down the hall. Randy's yelling. He's like, man, a plane just ran into the World Trade Tower. And I and I, I looked at him and I said, Randy, what do you what do you mean? Like a little small plane? He's like, yeah, no, right. a big old plane, a big old plane. And and I remember myself, uh, Dante Culpepper. Uh, Michael, but all of us just running down the hallway to get to the players' lounge to to see the the news and see what was going on. And, and as soon as we get there, we see the second plane crash into the tower, and uh, we we didn't quite know exactly what was going on. Uh, we just we just knew it wasn't you know it wasn't anything good. And uh, you know we we actually got dressed and went out for practice, and uh, 
Coach Green gets a call from from the NFL and said, hey, you know, bring them back in, send everybody back home. And and, and we're just kind of confused right now about what's going on. So I, I just remember like this not knowing like what is really happening, what's really going on right now. You guys, if I remember correctly, had a week off, right? Yeah. And then, got, yeah. you know, and then got back to it. So, um, yeah, we were to scheduled believe- to play the Baltimore Ravens and they, they canceled that week. Uh, and I think we wound up playing the Chicago Bears the, the next week. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Twenty years have gone by. You're officially an old man, Byron. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm officially an old man because <laughs> my daughter was born that year, and she's in college. Yes, she's 20 years old now. Wow. Where's she going uh, to school? In college, she goes to uh, Otis College of Arts and Design. She is a brilliant artist. It's one of the top art okay. schools here in California. Goal Stories is presented all season long by Cambria, the official countertop of the Minnesota Vikings. We'll be back in a moment with more Skull Stories right after this. Kick off this Viking season with country music star Dustin Lynch live at the Commons at U.S. Bank Stadium on September 26th, leading into the home opener versus the Seattle Seahawks. This free event is open to the public and begins at 10 a.m., presented by Miller Lite and in partnership with K102. Visit vikings.com slash kickoffconcert for details. Now let's get back to our conversation with Byron Chamberlain. Um, what are your memories of, uh, of playing for Denny Green? And then, you know, you spent some time also with Mike Tice uh, and us when we were there as, as a staff. But uh, what are your, some of your your favorite memories of Denny and being able to play for Denny, going from a Kubiak, uh, you know, offensive minded guy to Denny, who obviously was uh, was a very good offensive mind. Yeah, you know the thing uh, about coming to to Minnesota. You know, I went and visited. I was a, a, a free agent leaving Denver, and you know, I went and visited uh, Belichick in uh, New England. I went and visited Marty Morningwig, who was my my uh, receiver coach in college. And he was coaching at Detroit. And then my last stop was in, in Minnesota and I got to Denny's office, man. And uh, and I'd always admired Denny uh, and the things that he had done and accomplished in the league. And he said, uh, you know, I've watched film on all these tight ends, all these free agents and tight ends. And I want you to be my my guy, my starting tight end. And he said he told me these exact words. You're going to catch 50 or 60 balls and you're going to go to the Pro Bowl. I wind up catching 57 balls and, and uh, making a Pro Bowl that year. But but just for him to, to, to have that confidence and that faith in me and telling me about all the tight ends, film he watched, and he wanted me to be his guy, I was sold at, at that minute. Um, the, the thing I noticed about his offense was there, there was a little more freedom in his offense when, when you're running your routes and, and making different adjustments. You had a little more freedom than you had in other offenses. He would literally use guys – and, and let them do what they did best. And, and you saw Randy Moss, I mean, one of the greatest receivers in this league. And everybody, you know, one of the knocks on Randy, oh, he doesn't run good routes. No, Denny just let Randy be Randy and play that playground game, which is why Randy was special. And so a lot of times the routes weren't really, uh, there weren't real, you know, there was a lot of freedom in there to adjust and make and make different adjustments. And 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 you give Randy a lot of freedom, you're never going to stop him. Uh, you're never going to stop that guy. So uh, same with Chris, same with Chris Carter. So that's the one thing that I noticed about uh, the Denny Green offense. The second thing is, like I said, Denny was going to identify your strengths and what you did well. 
And that's what he was going to have you do. He was never going to let your weakness show. I mean, you had, you mentioned the names, um, uh, like from nine 11 and you look at the, you know, Dante Culpepper, Michael Bennett, Randy Moss, what was it like to be part of an offense that is so talented, right? I mean, you have, as a defensive coordinator, I look at it this way. It's like, all right, who do you stop, right? Well, you stop Randy deep first, cause that's a fastest way to get beat. But my goodness, it was, you had a cast of characters around you that were pretty darn good football players. Yeah, we, we, we really did. And, you know, Michael Bennett was a young guy at that time, but, uh, you know, I remember you, them dumping a little screen pass and them going 80. He had that type of, of speed and explosion. Uh, of course we had, you know, the veteran, uh, Chris Carter, who was, you know, you know, hall of famer and, and just one of the best has ever done it. Dante Culpepper, one of the biggest quarterbacks I've ever seen in my life. Uh, people would always would laugh at me, or they'd always tease me, like, "How do you feel having a quarterback that's actually bigger than than the tight end?" So, but a uh, great guy, great, you know, and and it was a good leader for us as well. And yeah, that offense, you know, that it just had so many weapons on it, and so many guys that could get the ball and make plays. And I was just really impressed coming into that that type of offense. Uh, you spent your college years at Wayne State, Division II. Mm-hmm. Um, the Vikings currently have a number of, uh, you know, Division II guys, C.J. Ham, you know, Adam Thielen, et cetera. A couple of things. What is it like being a Division II kind of guy, and what advice would you give to a, a Division II player that's out there right now? Well, you know, the process is the same as far as from the, you know, when the scouts come to look at you and they come to evaluate you. Uh, the, the one thing I said, well, if you're in it, if you're while you're playing D2 ball and, and you have scouts in the, in, the, in the building, they're coming to watch you play, they're coming to watch you practice, you better be clearly the best player on that field. Yeah, I mean, it shouldn't be even a question. Shouldn't take too uh, long to find yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You better be that, that big old fish. <laughs> in that small pond. Uh, and so that that's the advice that I give um, the guys who are currently playing on the lower divisions, division two, II, division three. If you want to get noticed, uh, you can't just be a regular guy. You know, we, we automatically come with that chip on our shoulder from D2 uh, mm-hmm. because all the guys are like, oh, man, I went to Florida State. I went to Notre Dame. I went to Southern Cal. And wait, wait, where's Wayne State again? And, and so we automatically come with that chip. On their shoulder, like you know, guys like Adam, they're gonna they're gonna be okay. I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna show you what I can do, and I can. I'm gonna show you why I'm here. And I, I kind of played with that chip on my shoulder my entire career. Now, did you guys? Did you have any other Division Two teammates? You guys kind of stick together? No, you know, because you know, once you get into the NFL, and you understand this, Pete, guys don't care where you come from. They care if you You're can right make plays. That. They were, They care if you can make plays <laughs> and you can help us win. And, and we're all in here trying to win the division, trying to get a playoff berth so we can go to the big dance, the Super Bowl. And that's all we're trying to do. So guys don't really care, you know, at that point. Once you prove that, hey, I can play and I can make plays and I can help this team win, hey, let's line up and let's go do it. I, I look back at my career, and it's one of the one of the greatest things that I've taken away from it was just the fact that for that exact reason of what you just, you know, talked about is you were in a place – in that locker room where you didn't care. It didn't matter. You had a job to do and you wanted to get it done. You respected everybody for their, for how much they worked 
in 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 and what they brought to the table, how much they could do, and how talented they were. It was, and it didn't matter, right? It it, yeah. it was it was one of the it was one of the most amazing experiences where, like you said, it didn't matter college background, religion, creed, any of that stuff. It was all about just getting a job done. And and I don't know if there's any other place on the planet that that's like that. I, I tell people all the time, the, the NFL locker room, when you're in that locker room, that's the most special place ever. It, it really is. And you got some of the most competitive. And I always say that everybody in there is so competitive, ultra right. competitive, and everybody wants to win. And that's the only thing that they want to do. I mean, you, you know. I remember being in that Denver locker room and, and there was this, the guys would say this out loud. Listen, I would play this game for free. Just so happens they're paying and they're paying well, but you know, <laughs> that's, that's all that, that, that they wanted to do is they wanted to play the game and they wanted mm-hmm. to win. That's what makes the NFL locker room so special. You can get guys from anywhere in the country, anywhere on the globe, and if they can come in and help you, you're going to embrace them and you're going to say, hey, let's go to war together. Have you had a chance to to go to the facility and or the stadium, uh, U.S. Yes, yes. Bank Stadium? What are your yes. thoughts on that? I mean, compared to the Metrodome. I mean, that place is magnificent. It is one of the best stadiums that I've ever set foot in. So I think one of the, the best things about that stadium is you look out and you see the windows and you see the, the city the, the skyline of, yeah. uh, of, of Minneapolis. I mean, that, that is an amazing feature to that stadium. Uh, I think the skull chant, I think that's the best thing ever in, in yeah. the NFL. It gives it a college feel. It really right. does. It, it really shows the uh, investment in the team and investment in the city uh, and, and really wanting to make the Minnesota Vikings the, the class uh, franchise of the NFL. It is. It truly is. Well, Byron, thank you very much. Looking forward to seeing you, um, you know, on that alumni weekend. So, all right, man. It was my pleasure. All right, we're already into week two this Sunday down in the desert. Let's take a look at this Northern Tool and Equipment Tools for Success versus the Arizona Cardinals. Be sure to get to Northern Tool and Equipment for power and performance. Save on pressure washers, Milwaukee and the wall power tools, sprayers automotive tools and more all the things that a guy truly loves jay you go you take a look at what this arizona cardinal team did there's a couple of headlines that you know that that you're definitely stick with and one of them is chandler jones chandler jones having five sacks i believe he had three in the first half uh one he had two forced fumbles for the game i know one for sure was in the first half he is the first player in NFL history since they've been recording sacks to have three sacks in the first quarter of the first game of the season for a team. I mean, he was, you know, he was on fire. And he's an athlete. Um, JJ Watt gets a lot of the attention. You know, he was a big sign. But Chandler Jones was really, he just really put on a clinic. Uh, for any aspiring pass rusher or anybody in the NFL. It was so bad at the tackle for Tennessee actually tweeted an apology to his fans. We've all known for a while that he can be a game wrecker. And like you said, that that addition of J.J. Watt, you kind of do the pick your poison. And for someone like Chandler Jones to have five sacks on opening day just puts the entire <laughs> league on notice. Like this is your problem for the entire season. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, you know, he's third most on opening day in NFL history. He was only behind Derek Thomas and Billy Gay, who had five and a half sacks in a game. Um, but he is an absolute game wrecker and, and you know 
that offensive staff upstairs is going to be trying to put together a game plan to account for him. Well, and, and and when it comes to like all those, you know, all those really the great players, it's like you just got to find a way to slow them down because I don't know if you're going to be able to stop them. Right? It, they're they're just they're just too good. So. Uh, offensively, uh, Kyler Murray's kind of the guy that you have to worry about. And, and oh, by the way, they got him a, a, a nice little receiver in DeAndre Hopkins. And I think the only thing that this team is lacking is is that superstar running back. I mean, they they are they're deep at the wide receiver position. Uh, AJ Green is there now. Um, I mean, um, you know, they drafted Rondale Moore, the second round pick uh, from Purdue. So Kyler Murray has athletes around him. And when you watch their offense, you see that right away because they want to spread you out. And they just throw enough trickery in. And it's mainly in the in the running game just to keep you off balance. But Kyler Murray, I mean, he's the guy that we have to stop. And I'm interested to see if we can and how we play against a very mobile quarterback. Every season with Arizona, you look at it and you kind of see how it's mimicking Seattle and Kansas City at this point. Where if you just put a ton of weapons around a super athletic quarterback, you're you have to pick your poison. Who are you going to try and contain? Because somebody's <laughs> right. going to be one on one. So for us in the past, the way that we've always attacked a guy like Russell Wilson is we actually haven't attacked him. We try to contain him. We try to squeeze him on the outside to try to keep him in that pocket and not let him get loose. Because when he gets loose, that's a huge problem. So I, I'm I'm thinking that if think about the next couple of weeks, you have Kyler Murray. Russell Wilson and Baker Mayfield, they all have this similar vibe to them. And I think defensively, if that's that same strategy they're going to try to do, that means you have to account for your DeAndre Hopkins and Christian Kirks and those guys on the outside, AJ Greens, in order to make sure that you can stop those weapons as much as possible. You know, they have those those weapons that that make you kind of step back. So defensively, how do you stop that? Well, you have to be physical with your defensive backs, interrupt the timing. There's a lot of short passing game. There's a lot of timing in these routes. And when Tennessee did have success, it was about disrupting, jamming, and doing those things. So you can, you're can you going to trade. In this game, I think you're going to trade a holding penalty or two or an illegal contact penalty or two just, just to try to disrupt the timing of this offense so they don't get themselves going. All right, guys. So as a reminder, the Vikings games this Sunday will be a 3 p.m. production down in Phoenix. Be sure to join Paul Allen, Ben Lieber, Mike Musman, Greg Coleman, and myself on the KFAN pregame show and broadcast all across the Vikings radio network. Thank you again for joining us for another episode of School Stories presented by Cambria. Proud to be the official countertop of the Minnesota Vikings. We'll see you all again next week.